words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. The wise men and Herod, a study in contrasts. The most famous silhouette in the world, those three camels on the horizon. That great poem of T.S. Eliot, a cold coming we had of it, just the worst time of the year for a journey, bringing intriguing gifts and humility before a greater than themselves. The sounds and smells of the Orient accompanying them, wise men with the insight to sniff out a fraud when they saw one. These boys from the hood were no pushover. The intuition that leads them to take a different route home and not report back to Herod. Wise guys, indeed. And in the red corner, Herod the Great. The Roman Empire's stooge, their placeman, with his vaunted ambition, expressed in grandiose building projects of staggering complexity and cost. The fortress at Masada, stranded like a beached whale in the middle of the Judean desert. Masada, with its astonishing water system that enabled the king to stay there in luxury, in the heart of the Judean wilderness. He made that not just a crazy dream, but an expensive reality. The man who restored the temple to its glorious status and whose rule was haunted by growing paranoia, a profound fear of losing power, of being replaced, being overthrown, and who to defend his position could be ruthless, brutal, and cruel. Contrasts indeed. The wise men, the vicious despot, Light and darkness, good and evil. The city of Jerusalem during the reign of Herod the Great was notorious as a focal point of decadence. It was the Gay Paris, the Weimar Republic Berlin of the ancient Near East. Play, fun, pleasure, excess were the driving impulses of Herod's court. From the vast quantities of wine produced and consumed to the blood and thunder of the games arena. Herod was the playboy of the Eastern world, wallowing as did his regime in a trough of pleasure-seeking and materialism. Jerusalem was a, a riot of gaiety, eating, drinking, and being, being merry because they could. It maybe reminds us that there's nothing new about the Love Island lifestyles and that culture where the pursuit of pleasure is the driving impulse. And life is lived in a way that removes the need, the chance, the desire to think about stuff. People seeking to fill the empty spaces of their soul and cram their diary and their day so full there's no time to look for the star were it to pass their way. Wise men, and of course wise women, look beyond the here and now, the urges and the needs of the moment, 
towards the more significant, the more important, towards the truth. We know because we've seen people live this way, or we've tried it, or we're locked into it, we know that a life that consists merely of letting the good times roll is trapped in shallowness and ultimately will disappoint. We were made for more. And somewhere in here we know that. Not that there's anything, not that there's anything inherently wrong with having a good time. Provided that has not been allowed to obscure our view of the fundamental responsibility we have to think, to worship, to seek, and to live for God. We need to be sure to ask in our life, where is our time of reflection and quiet and thought? Herod played while the wise men sought. Herod laughed while the wise men thought. A study in contrasts. And the contrasts run deeper yet. The innocence and openness of the wise men as they come with seeking minds and genuine longing to find the truth about this new king contrasts vividly with the plotting and the scheming and the lies and the deviousness of a terrified despot who senses a threat to his power, perceives the possibility of a rival for his throne, and plots and plans terrible deeds of ugliness and inhumanity. If there there were another king out there of the legitimate line of David, what then of Herod's dynasty? his prospects, him. But wise men and women come to situations and opportunities with open and perceptive, receptive minds, with an eye to the truth, first and foremost, regardless of how uncomfortable that truth might be. Because such people know that if we ignore reality and hide from the truth, or seek to silence it, smother it, suffocate it, there will be consequences, unfortunate, costly loss. Far better, they say, to take this king as we find him, as he is, see him for who he is, respond to him in the light of that reality, not our prejudices. Not trying to avoid him because he makes us feel uneasy about our own status, our own pride, our own priorities. It's not about closing your mind down to reality, but being open to it. Herod, on the other hand, has no interest in the truth. It makes him nervous. And so he chooses to lash out. Herod, strident, panicky, stressed, anxious. The wise men, placid plodding on patiently. For the truth, they know, can never do you any harm. We have nothing to fear from the truth. It's only the person who clings stubbornly, angrily, blindly to their partisan position, locked into their prejudices, trapped by their fear. They're the only one who need fear the truth. The wise men brought their gifts 
considered thoughtful gifts. They bowed low in a beautiful, gracious humility to worship a greater than they. And in this they were revealing their true wisdom. A self-understanding of their limitations and their true status. Wisdom has no illusions about its own importance. They sense they're in the presence of something bigger than they are, far exceeding their significance, and they did what was right. They surrendered. Because true wisdom means a proper humility. That's a feature demonstrated by all those wise men and women in whatever field they excel. It's not vaunted pride that parades how clever and successful and wonderful they are, but an honest recognition that no matter how many qualifications they've got, or how stellar their career, no matter how much they know about this or that, there is so much more about so many things they don't know. So many things they don't know. And humility before the face of that reality, is a fitting and a proper response. And so they bow, those men, those grand men in their silken robes with the smell of spices clinging to them. They bow low before their king. Herod's, Herod's was a different story, bringing to the situation for the first time the smell of death that was to haunt the Christ. Herod slashes an ugly red wheel across the story, shatters the moment. Every time we see that silhouette of those camels on a hundred Christmas cards, we have to recall the anguished screams of the mothers and the bloodied swords and the weeping town of Bethlehem. Oh, little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie. Not that night. So typical of the human story. Bloody massacres that shame our humanity. Crass madness that degrades yet dogs our story, our predicament. It seems to be the default position when, when goodness and common sense and humanity have been abandoned in favour of power-hungry leaders who want to hold on to their position at any price. That beautiful moving, touching story with a brutal and terrible epilogue. A tender moment hung in time, tainted by one man's fear-filled defense of his regime. And over and over again it's happened. We shouldn't be so surprised. The track record of humanity with its bloodied hands is long and shameful. And Jesus, this Jesus is born into a real world with its Belsons, its Bosnia, its Rwanda, its madness and its badness. A risky, dirty, half-crazed place where men are capable of acts of quiet dignity and grandeur and beauty and deeds of unbelievable awfulness and cruelty. Welcome to our world, baby Jesus. We hope you've come to help us The sharp contrasts of the story as told to us must speak to us clearly. Invite us to ask ourselves, are we on the lookout for truth and insight? 
regardless of how that truth might destabilize our cozy world, challenge our comfortable existence? Or do we find we'd rather join with those who subvert any spiritual searching in their story in the heady pursuit of the tinsel and baubles that the world offers? Do we approach the reality of Jesus and his truth with open and receptive minds, willing to listen, hearts that are willing to respond? Or will we, like Herod, find reasons to revert to type, rationalize our rejection of the Christ child, preferring to convince ourselves that Jesus really has nothing to say to us or to our life that we want to hear thank you? We'd rather just continue on our way without him. And will we bow low to acknowledge his uniqueness and his lordship and bring what gifts we can, our love, our heart, our commitment? Or once again, will the flicker of conviction be doused, snuffed out as we seek to silence the nagging voice in our heart that repeats and repeats, who is he in yonder stall at whose feet the cattle fall? Tis the Lord, O wondrous story. Tis the Lord, the King of glory, at his feet we humbly fall. Crown him, crown him, Lord of all. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.